0: Well, Lena Williams wrote a short story titled, Personal Testimony. And in this story, there is a young girl of 12 who is the daughter of a West Texas uh, fire and brimstone preacher. Uh, And so her childhood every summer is, is going to summer camp. And there is this conservative fundamentalist camp up in Oklahoma that she goes to every summer. And it is like most camps during the day. During the day, you have arts and crafts, and you have softball, and you have volleyball, and all of the the typical camp activities. But in the evening, it turns into a revival. And there is sweaty preaching, trying to convince the kids to surrender their lives to Jesus. And this is her camp experience. Well, part of this camp experience is also this unwritten rule that every kid at some point will come forward and share their personal testimony. And so these kids are trying to prepare to come and and tell their stories. Unfortunately, they are just kids, and their stories are not that complex yet, and their testimonies are not all that great And that's where the 12-year-old girl comes in. This preacher's daughter decides that she's going to earn a little bit of extra income through the summer and becomes a ghostwriter of personal (laughs) testimonies. (laughs) And so for for five bucks, you can get your testimony written by this 12-year-old girl. One story she wrote was for a boy named Michael. In this story, he was... Full of a sinful life, his language was very bad. He would take the Lord's name in vain at football practice. But now that he had Jesus, his mouth is as pure as crystal spring water. Michael's story was good, but uh, it was not as good as Tim's story that she wrote for him. His life was empty and utterly meaningless until he met Jesus in a near-fatal and completely fictitious pickup Accidents near galveston and the near catastrophe in which jesus himself seized the steering wheel and averted disaster and this took some imagination so for this one she charged 25 bucks <laughs> now in some church circles the personal testimony is very important One of the activities we went through last year was writing our story so that we can be able to share our testimony with others. Well, often there is this very canned and very contrived formula in which it is written. Once I was in distress, now I have triumphed. I once was lost, but now am found. There's the old hymn that says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted to me, now safe am I. And so there is this formula for testimony. If your testimony fits into one of these formulas, don't feel bad. Because it actually comes from a really good source. You were in good company of biblical testimonies. We remember where this testimony comes from. This once I was lost, but now I am found testimony comes from the blind man in John chapter 9. In verse 25, he says, Once I was blind, but now I see. What an incredible testimony. In just one single statement, he can say who he was and now how he has been changed because of Jesus. I was blind, but now I see. And so we are in a series going through the Gospel of John, looking at John and and encountering God through this gospel as we see Jesus and his works. And once again, we're going to tackle a pretty large chunk of scripture because the way John writes makes it very difficult for us to, to segment out little pieces and little stories and little sound bites. So we're going to look at all of chapter nine this morning. We have to look at the entire thing to to be able to get a full picture about what's really going on here with the story. Because there's more to this testimony than just simply, I was blind and now I see. What's unique about this blind man's testimony is, is the story is not, I found Jesus and life got really great. What happens is, I find Jesus and my life becomes really complicated and difficult. Not the type, type of testimony we, we really like to hear. And so we're going to go through the, John chapter 9 through this story. Let's start in the first verse. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world." After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And what an incredible story so far, right? He encounters Jesus. Jesus spits and makes some mud and rubs him on his eyes. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, no. He just looks like the man. It's someone else. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me, told me to go and wash, and so I went and I washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know. He's disappeared. And so we've got this interesting, this interesting story here where we've got a man who was blind from birth. He encounters Jesus. Jesus heals him. They're questioning who the man is, and Jesus disappears. And Jesus leaves the man to fend for himself. The story starts with, with Jesus and his disciples going into a community where, where the moral order is really important. The stability of this community is highly valued. There's this strong sense of right and wrong, and everything has to work together for, for right and wrong to remain in balance. The institutions and the congregations and the religious leaders and, and the families and neighborhoods all are shared sharing, and reinforcing this moral code to say this is the right way to behave. And when someone had a physical impairment like blindness, the belief was that it was a manifestation of sin. Things are now out of order. Things are out of balance. In in a community where moral order is is valued, here is a man who represents sin. Sin who represents all the things that are wrong with what they desire for their community to be. And since he was born that way, obviously it's his parents who screwed up. It's his parents who have the sin. Somebody has to be at blame for this man's blindness. And so their moral belief about sin and physical impairment alienated this man, and he was pushed to the fringes of their community. He was labeled and classified as a sinner, and and the only thing left for him was to become a beggar. And this is the man that Jesus encounters. And so when the disciples ask this question, this is a perfectly reasonable question for them to ask. It fits within their framework of understanding. Who sinned that this man would be born blind? And so with this reasonable question, Jesus has a perfectly unreasonable answer. And he says, neither. Your way of thinking about this is totally wrong. What you think about sin and what you think about how God interacts with us is incorrect. It was not this man's fault. It was not this man's sin. It was not his parents' sin. It was different. It was so God could be glorified. Thomas Long describes it this way. He says, Like God in Genesis, Jesus bent down and took mud and created a new world and a new humanity. In the taking of this mud, Jesus is creating something new. He's bringing new life into this man through the healing of his blindness. And so Jesus spreads this mud, this this life-giving mud, on the man's eyes and tells him to go wash up. And the man washes. He's born blind, and he's excluded from the community. But he comes back into the community able to see. New life has been given. And so you would think at this point in the story, we've gotten to the the high point of it. The man was blind, and now he can see. His whole life has been transformed. Think about being born blind and, and never being able to see, and suddenly being able to see the clarity and the colors and the lights for the very first time. This is an exciting time. The man was blind, but now he sees. He comes back into the community and he is radiating God's glory because he has this new life and has been transformed. But this does not sit well with the community because now there has been a violation of what their expectation is how they think the world operates, how they think God operates, what they believe about God is now called into question. How could this really be the same man? How could this sinner be the one who now sees? The people don't know how to reconcile this. They don't know how to, to match together what they believe about God And so they do what many of us do. If it does not fit our frame of reference, they push it out. And they write it off. They explain it away. Surely this is not the same man. It's just a guy who looks like that guy. And so before the day is over, this man whose life has been completely transformed and completely turned upside down is accused by his neighbors, he's abandoned by his parents, he's cursed by his ministers, he's thrown out of his congregation. This is what the man's new life is like. Because he was blind, and now he sees— And what continues for the rest of the day is an interrogation of how this could not be possible. Starting in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now, for this community of believers, everything or every one believed that if they would keep the Sabbath just once perfectly, then the end of the world would come, the kingdom of God would be set into motion. So if everybody did this perfectly for just one day, man, God's going to come. And so when somebody screws that up, it's a really big deal because now we have to go for another week. And then we have to go for another week. And then we have to go for another week. And that's why rules after rules after rules start to be piled up about what it means to keep Sabbath. And so here comes Jesus, and he needs mud together. Kneading is one of those acts of work that's not allowed on Sabbath, and so now Jesus has messed it up. Obviously, he is a sinner. And so this man is not from God because he's not keeping Sabbath. The Sabbath. Continuing. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. So half the group is saying, He's a sinner because he didn't keep the Sabbath. The other group is saying, Well, if he's a sinner, how could he do this miraculous work? You can't have both. He's got to be one or the other. Then they turned again to the blind man, as if he's the one who can answer this question correctly. They turned to the blind man, What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. So now here we have the religious leaders turning to the blind man to come up with an answer of who Jesus is. And the man replies, He's a prophet. They still do not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. We don't want to get involved. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, because we know you haven't been telling the truth up until this point. We know this man is a sinner, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Man is just telling it like it is. I was blind, but now I see. He, um, Let's see, sorry. Verse 26, then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? We want an explanation. We have to we have to rationalize this. We have to 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 write this off as something that is is not or is is in keeping with our expectations of who God is. So how did he do this? He answered, "I have told you already. Did you not listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too?" It's my favorite line right there. Like can you imagine what these Pharisees were thinking when he said that? Like, it's like, everything is escalating, worse and worse. You want to be his disciples, too, huh? Because you keep asking about it. All right. Then they hurled insults at him. They're not happy. You are his fel- You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. Interesting. Remember last week we talked about the bread coming from heaven and Jesus being the bread of heaven, instead of Moses bringing the manna? We are followers of Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What a powerful statement from this man. Here is the blind beggar schooling the Pharisees on who Jesus is. How could this man do anything if he were not from God? To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. If you can't get along, it's just better to throw him out. There's no agreement on what's going on here, so we'll just kick him out of church. So they kick him out, and they're left with this interesting scenario here. We've got these teachers who are getting angrier and angrier with what the man is saying, and then he uses their own logic against them and completely turns the story up on on its side. and and they can't reconcile what they are witnessing with what they know to be true about God, and so they have to write it off. So they judge the man as a sinner, and they kick him out. Jesus, in the meantime, is nowhere to be seen in this story. He healed the guy and left. And so the man is defending himself against the religious establishment, but then Jesus reenters the story. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when, he found them, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Now, here's a man who has been up against the religious establishment, has been abandoned by his family, who's been kicked out of church because of what he's saying, and he continues to press in and pursue Jesus and asks, who is the Son of Man? Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blinds. And so Pharisee, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind you would not be guilty of sin but now that you claim to be being able to see your guilt remains and so the blind man is healed of his physical blindness and then he's healed of his spiritual blindness and encounters Jesus and sees Jesus for who he really is And says, Lord, I believe. Now we remember that that throughout John, John is writing at a physical level and he's writing at a spiritual level. That the physical act is not what we're focusing on. It's the spiritual story that's going on. And so at the very beginning of the story, we have this physical act of healing. But throughout the the interrogation and then through Jesus' statements to the man here at the end, we see the spiritual level of what's going on here that there's a spiritual blindness, that that the religious elite, the ones who think they have all the answers, the ones who, who have this box that God should be fitting into, they're the ones who are blind and they're the ones who are going to be judged. But it's this blind man whose eyes are open and he sees for the first time and he sees a reality that the Pharisees couldn't even see. We have to look at this whole story to see the real power of this man's testimony because the day the blind man met Jesus was was not the day his trouble ended. How would you read this man's testimony? Once I was blind, but now I see. We we, we focus on the the physical aspects of it. I, I can see the things around me now. And we think of this incredible miracle that's happened. But maybe it's read more like, once I was blind, but now, now I see. Now I see what's really going on. I see what's going on in the world around me. I see what's going on in the religious world. I see what's going on in the kingdom of God. The man was blind, but, but he encounters the light of Jesus, and it's, it's more than just a physical healing. There is a spiritual healing going on here as well. He will never see things the same way again. Because now, now he sees. He sees at a spiritual level, not just a physical level. Again, Thomas Long says, this is the way it is, isn't it? The more we are drawn into the light of Jesus, the more we have our eyes opened by the gospel. The more we have our eyes opened by the gospel, the more things we see. The more we see how the old world is captive to the powers of darkness and the forces of death. The more ways we see the shadows fall across us, across the world as it is. To be given sight by Jesus is to participate in the collision of moral worlds. That the more we are brought into the light of Jesus, the more we see the reality of the world around us. That now things become more and more focused about the realities of God's kingdom and the realities of the fallen world around us. The more we're drawn into the light of Jesus, it opens our eyes to a totally new realm. It opens us to the kingdom of God and to his new ways. But it also puts us at odds with the world around us. That we are on a collision collision course with the reality of the world. And so the more we're drawn into the light, the less comfortable we get with the world that we're dealing with. And so the blind man is healed of his blindness, but now he sees. And the man faces questions, and he faces criticism. This cannot be the man that you think it is. We have to reconcile what we believe about God with what we see in you. And he's left all alone. Jesus leaves him there by himself. And he's defending himself. And so this man who can now see a new reality and can now see that Jesus is a prophet and sees the reality that this man has to be from God, regardless of what the religious people are saying, This man has to do it himself. Jesus stirs up the pot and and leaves. So I want you to think back to our very first week where we started this series, and we were talking about who John is writing to. He's writing to second-generation Christians who, who did not personally see and witness Jesus. But they believed based on the testimony of others. And it is because of this belief that they are being thrown out of their synagogues. Their belief is now putting them at odds with their family and their friends and their neighbors and their religious leaders. The life that they're living is very much this blind man's life where they're being questioned and they're being ridiculed and things are being talked away and, and written away against who Jesus claims to be, against what they believe to, be, uh, believe to be true about Jesus. And This is who John is writing to. And so when he tells this group of people, this is the blind man, He has a belief in Jesus, a belief that's putting him at odds with the world around him. And Jesus may not physically be there right now. But you have to stand firm in that belief regardless. Again, Thomas Long says, The reason Jesus does not hover around in the midst of the conflict is that the conflict is necessary if we're really going to see and really going to become people of faith. Opening our eyes to see is not, is not the some before and after contrast in a diet ad. Instead, it's opening our eyes, opening our eyes happens as a process, a process that occurs in and through conflict. It is, it is as people who belong to the light engage in moral conflict in the world, that their faith becomes shaped and their vision becomes focused. And so sometimes blindness is corrected over time. That we put on a certain lens that starts to adjust our vision, that starts to adjust how we see. And the conflict and the tension and the situations that we find ourselves in, when we see ourselves at odds with the world around us, that continues to form us and shape us and help us to grow. It's a process of walking into the light and seeing more and more clearly what God has for us. And so as you think about your own experiences as followers of Jesus, how has your blindness been healed? What has been your blindness? What, what have you been closed off to, but, but the light of Jesus opened it up for you, that you were blind, but now you can see? What realities do you now see? What do you see that you didn't see before? What is it about your relationships, about your workplace, about your neighborhood, About the poor, about the broken? How does your vision change as you step into the light? And as you think about the times that you have stepped into the light and seen the world around you in new ways, in the ways God sees things, how has conflict come up to distract from that? Conflicts come to tear that down? How did things become more difficult instead of easier? because of the way you see the world now. Because now that you're looking through a Jesus lens, you see something differently. And that different isn't always easier. And so what are the things in the world that have become difficult because you see things differently? It could be that the interaction with friends and the interaction with coworkers is more difficult. Because you no longer say those things or look at those things or do those things that they do. And now you're at odds with your friends. Or maybe it's a financial difficulty because you've made different priorities in how you view money because of how you see God. And so you face faced challenges, but you've faithfully gone through and been obedient to what he's called you to do in those challenges. Think about the challenges that you faced. And are those challenges something that are, are really because of how you're seeing the world differently because of Jesus? And then in the end, how was your faith strengthened because you pressed through that? Did you come through on the other side of that challenge, of that conflict, of that difficulty with a stronger faith in that process? Or maybe this morning you find yourself in the middle of a conflict, in the middle of a struggle, where things are not going well where you see Jesus and you've walked into the light and your life has changed in some way, but the world around you and the life that you are living is not getting any easier. You find yourself in the middle of conflict and you find yourself in the middle of difficulty. And so can you find some sort of peace, some sort of hope in knowing that God is working through that, so that he may be glorified. And so we continue to press through those conflicts. We continue to press through those struggles, knowing that God has given us a vision for reality that is more true than any vision that the world tells us. That as followers of his, we are seeing the kingdom of God. And seeing the kingdom of God completely changes our lives. Completely changes the decisions that we make and the processes that we go through, the lives that we live. And there will be challenges along the way, and there will be conflicts along the way because the light does not get along with the dark. The dark does not like the light. And so continue to press into the lights. After the blind man is thrown out of the synagogue, he is really left with nothing. and Jesus comes back and finds him. And Jesus takes the man, t- t- Jesus asks the man this all-important question: Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man who has gone through so much up to this point and has confessed so much, he continues on, but he doesn't know the complete answer. He's still a little bit blind. He still wants to know, and so he asks. And Jesus responds, I am he. I'm the one you're looking for. And Jesus asks you the same question. Do you believe that I'm the Son of Man? Do you believe? Are you walking into that light? We come eagerly, saying, yes, we believe. But with that belief, beware, because Jesus will open your eyes. And you will see things that you have never seen before. And when you begin to see those things that you've never seen before, you will live a life that will never be the same. Once you were blinds, but now, now you see. Let's stand together. Jesus comes in and heals blindness, both physically, but more importantly for all of us, he heals blindness spiritually, and we're able to see. We're able to see this new reality, this new life. And even though it may include conflict and adversity and difficulty, it is the only life worth living. Because Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And we see him and we find new life in him. And so we're going to spend some time in prayer. This is a time if if you want to confess your belief in Jesus for the first time. We would love to do that with you this morning through the waters of baptism. Where we don't have mud for your eyes today, but we do have water that will wash it away. It will wash away that blindness, and you will see and have new life. And we can do that together this morning. For many of us, we have made that confession, but we continue to progress as we walk into the light, and the further we walk into the light, the more the spiritual blindness goes away, and the more we see the kingdom of God around us, and the more we engage in that kingdom. And so let's pray together. This is a time for you to pray as a family, as a couple, as a small group. Uh, We'll have shepherds down front uh, that you can pray with, Uh, This is a time for us to encourage one another and lift each other up and and share with one another how we see a new life in Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the story of this blind man. And God, I pray that we can see ourselves in this story. We see how we are blind. And that you come in and you wash away that blindness and now we can see. Thank you. Thank you for that amazing grace that once we were blind, but now we see. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.